Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. This episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down for a Triple Crown special with Hall of Fame jockey Mike Smith. It's a three-horse photo finish, and on the liner, it's Giacomo, who has won the 131st Kentucky Derby. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. Today in the program, we've got one of the greatest jockeys in the history of horse race. He has the most Breeder' Cup victories ever with 26, and he won the Triple Crown in 2018 riding Justify. He was inducted in the Horse Racing Hall of Fame in 2003. His career earnings are north of $300 million, which puts him second all-time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Michael Smith. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you coming on. You know, this is the Boone podcast is baseball heavy, but but we like to get outside the box. I'm a big horse racing fan, as we, t- you know, I touched on briefly when we talked earlier, but uh, I'm excited to do this today and we'll get started. Uh, Mike, in my game, in the game of baseball, there are certain things you know, that you've got to bring to the table as an athlete to be successful. What makes a great jockey? Well, I mean, they got to have a great sense of pace. First of all, they got to have great horsemanship to start with. And when you can, when you, when you know about a horse from the ground up, it really helps a lot knowing their body language, when they're happy, when they're comfortable, when they're not comfortable. Uh, you know, all that stuff really means something, especially in, in a race where, where you're running in such a tight, you know, big field and it's so tight. You know, there's certain places some horses are comfortable in, and there's certain places that some horses aren't. You got to be a really good judge of pace, uh, and you got to understand understand the game. And I got you got to know the players that are playing around you, the other horses, and 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 know what your horse's strengths and weaknesses are, and and, and you know make the right moves, uh, slow the game down in your head. Everything as you well know, and especially in baseball, with the ball coming at you that fast, everything is is fast enough as it is it's not going to slow down but you can slow it down in your head when you when you learn to do stuff like that things come a whole lot easier well not not to mention too but you know staying in in great shape you know you you think that horses are doing all the work but you believe it or not man it's for just two minutes you got to try squatting and not breathing and and and, and riding as hard as you can ride it's pretty tiring (laughs) you got to be fit no i'm i'm envious because i you know i i I've ridden some horses, obviously not thoroughbreds, but uh, through the years, you know, I've been up on some hunting trips and you know, we take the horses and w- once in a while we'll get them to run. And and I mean, you know, we'll get them running and I'm kind of looking around, you know, for a guy that doesn't ride horses all the time and we're going pretty fast and I'm going, whoa, <laughs> and it's wearing me out. And then I'm thinking, imagine being on a thoroughbred, you know, jockeying for position and going around the track. I think that's. It's something that I probably could never do. That's why it's so fun uh, for me to watch the best in the world when you guys come out here uh, to the Del Mar meet. I'm always out there four or five times to check it out. Always have started started as a young kid with grandpa. But I know you grew up in, uh, you were born in New Mexico. And I want to know about Mike Smith, the kid. And, and how is this brought to you? Did you just decide one day I want to be a jockey or uh, just, just tell me about your childhood. <laughs> yeah. You know, grew up on a ranch and grew up around horses. 
you know, re- regular cattle horses, quarter horses, and, and thoroughbreds. I mean, my family was kind of involved in the industry somewhat. And, and I was really, I, I enjoy sports still to this day, man. I, lo- I love all, all sports, man. I really do. And, and it was a big football, baseball fan uh, and, and, and wanted to compete and loved competing, you know, but I didn't, I didn't grow very much, man. I was, I was, you know, I was as vicious as hell. I had the heart to, 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 to do it all. I just didn't have the size uh, to go with it, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I'd make the football team, but I never got to play. You know, I'd, I'd make the baseball team, but I play on the B League, man. I just, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I was just, you know, very competitive. And, and, and the horses just came natural to me. I, I, I really love horses. I enjoyed them. And, and I, I just remember watching them, on, you know, watching the Kentucky Derby on TV as a young kid going, wow, man, maybe that's something I could do. So then all of a sudden I went from wanting to gain weight and get taller to, to not wanting to gain any weight and, and, and not, not and shrink a little bit. I didn't want to. I didn't want to eat myself out of a job because I thought horse racing might be something that I could be good at. And I started at such a young age and, and, and became, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of promise to me early on. Uh, you know, I, 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 I just I had a knack for it, man. And I, I loved it so much. And, and, you know, once you, once you, once you love something and you, it gets in your blood, man, you, it ain't work no more, man. It's all fun. And I just kept on and on and on. And, and before you know it, you know, here I am, you know, of course it's, Almost forty years later, you know, here I am. But you know, it's been a it's been a, a wonderful journey all all the way from from the first time I rode my first race until now. It really has been. I've been very blessed. You know, you know, in this sport, other than injuries, man, it it'll take you all over the world. It's the funnest thing to be around and, and be involved in because you know you get to meet everybody. You get to meet so many people from across the world, and and even people in sports are involved in horse racing. So you you get to see it all. You know. And when I was, you know, I was doing my research for this, it, uh, people out there listening to the Boone podcast that that might not know the, the game of horse racing. I, I'd, I'd like to be educated today a little bit, too. I know you were breaking horses at 11. You were racing horse, or I'm sorry, breaking horses at eight. You were racing horses at 11 years old. First question there is, who are you racing against when you're 11? But I'm really more interested in in how it coincides with other sports. Uh, for instance, baseball. I grew up, you know, I played Little League and then I get into yeah. maybe a, and nowadays the kids are getting into a travel ball situation. If, you know, you go to high school, uh, if you're good enough, you move on to college and then if you're really good, you get a chance at professional baseball and you go through the minor leagues. And then obviously the cream of the crop are, are major league baseball players. If you were to try to expa- explain to me in layman's terms, the, the, the process for, uh, for a jockey coming up through the ranks from, you know, from being a kid to what, what is horse racing's uh, equal to the minor leagues of say professional baseball? You know, it's, it's like, it, it's a lot like sports, actually. I mean, so, so when you start loving baseball, man, you learn how to catch a ball. It's the same thing from the ground up. You learn how to take care of a horse, man. You learn how to feed one first, first and foremost, and then you learn how to take care of one. Uh, and then, then you learn how to ride, of course, and, and then you learn you know, what it takes to get a horse to do things properly and to do things right. You know, riding at a race at, at 11, 12 years old and 13, that's just like playing, you know, just, you know, you know, high school baseball, man. You know, you're, there were there were match races. They're not they're not uh, they're, hell. They weren't even legal, <laughs> but they're not official. 
you know, it's just one farmer against another farmer, and I'd race some other kid. So it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, certainly wasn't the big leagues by, by no means, but I could make a little money at it, and it would certainly take me to, to the next level. And, you know, we start at such a young age. You know, you can start professionally at the age of 16, you know, although you're an apprentice. You get a weight, you get a weight uh, uh, allowance uh, advantage over the, the journeyman, and really that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, you're thrown right into the into the big leagues pretty pretty early on, and, and it's just a matter of taking taking the time and learning and, and watching and, and and just getting better as you know as you get older. And, and like I said, I was blessed to be a bit of a sponge, man. I mean, I just I, I watch everything and I I, I listen. Uh, I wanted to learn, and and I was you know I was although I was a bit of a shy kid, I loved it so much that I wanted to learn. I I didn't mind you know walking up to to to, to say a journeyman and, and asking him questions, you know, and, and, and wanting, and then again, there's something to, to also, you know, you're, you're, when your mother tells you to very young age, surround yourself with the right people and you'll do a whole lot better off in life. And, and that's what you do, man. You, you, you find the people that are successful, you see what makes them that way and you just keep learning from them. And you've mentioned weight a couple times. And, and when you really think about your sport in particular, uh, it's almost like a boxing match or, 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 the, or, or the standard that they're held to, I'm sorry, because there are weight limits. And that's, is that something that is constantly on your mind? Like, I know you're a workout fanatic. Uh, you know, the first thing you told me is, hey, I got to go to the gym. I go to the gym at this time. You know, I'm kind of in that boat, too. That's what I do. I just get up and I go to the gym and it's six days a week. And even though I'm long retired, it's like the last thing I want to be is a, a short, fat guy. That's what I tell everybody. I'm just I'm just play, you know, I just keep doing it because that's what I've always done. And I just keep doing it. But you're still going. You're still racing at the highest level. And weight is an important thing because you guys have limit. I can play a baseball game. It doesn't matter. The only thing you're going to say to me is Brett looks a little out of shape this year if I'm heavy, but I'm not going to be penalized for it. That's something that's constantly on the table for you guys. Like I said, like a boxer, like a, a wrestling match in high school or college. Is that something that's ever been a problem or you just know this is what I do and I know I make my weight uh, for each and every you know big event I have coming up? You know, yeah, honestly, you know, I'm like, you know, as, as you well know, anybody, uh, period, not not even sports, your weight's going to fluctuate. You know, you you just, you got to do, you know, riders, man, we we it, we try, throughout my whole career, I haven't let it fluctuate over seven pounds, you know, right around there. Uh, so that that's pretty hard to do at times, but, but as you well know, as you get older, man, things slow down and it, it does get harder. You know, I don't, I ride at a higher weight. Uh, that I used to ride at, uh, you know, you can't be over. Some states are different. So, Brett, if, if you go to New York and you're over five pounds, I don't, I don't think they'll let you ride in New York at over five. So, if the horse has 115 and all you can tack is 121 with any one pound, you're over the five. So, you're automatically uh, would be off the horse. Some states are seven pounds over, so they're, they're, they're they vary. So they're different just a little bit. And, I, you know, so I, I just don't ever accept a mount that I know I can't, I can't, uh, me and my agent won't accept a mount if, it, if it's too light. I won't be able to, to, to do the weight. But I, you know, I, the bottom I do now, on, honestly, is about 120, 118 once in a great while. If, if all of a sudden my body just shifts over and all of a sudden, I, for some odd reason, I'm lighter this month than I was the following month. But, 
as long as you can stay within that five pound limit where you can ride, you, they'll call you over. So if you're over, as long as you ain't over five, you know they'll they'll call it over. But that's that's all uh, legal. It's all uh, you know. You just can't be over the five. It's five. It's five. It's five to seven pounds here in California. I think it's seven, but in New York, I know it's five. So you you gotta. It, it's tough, man. You gotta stay. That's why you gotta stay working out and and, and keep you know keep. Uh, Keep eating healthy and just taking care of yourself. But uh, working out certainly helps a whole lot. In in baseball, we have a lot of different relationships with with different people in the organization. Uh, definitely a, a player, you know, a middle infielder has a has a certain rapport with his partner up the middle, a pitcher and a catcher, that battery mate. In the horse racing game, I, I'm just interested. What is the relationship like between the owner? the trainer and the jockey. You know, there's, if there's, if there's something to that as well, you know, there's just some people you, you, you play for better. I, I you know, so they, they say that, you know, he's a player's coach, man. Sometimes coaches love, you know, players love that coach, man. They'll play for that guy. You know, some guys that just don't, you know what, I, what that is. I don't really, really know. I wish, I wish I kind of did. Um, that's something we could probably talk about for hours. Uh, but yeah, sometimes you just you just I hate the word luck, man. But you just do better with with some people sometimes. You just have a rapport with them. You, I think that a lot of it is you know a, a good trainer is not only a, a guy who can condition a horse and, and get a horse ready for this specific race and really point him for it and then get him as fine tuned as they can possibly be. But they're also a really good coach. So I mean, when I'm riding for like say Bob, you know, I'm going to ride for him this Saturday. You know, he's hired me because he trusts me. He, we have a game plan, but he knows that my hands ain't tied. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't make me just stick to that one plan. He knows that if something happens, I, I need to call an audible that I'm, I'm feel, I feel I'm free to do it. I, I feel I can do it. And I, you know, although, you know, it might cost us a race because things didn't go right. I don't have to go back and worry about, you know, my job's on the line. I, this is it, man. I done messed up this one time. He, he lets me play, man. And that's what I love about it. And, he, he trusts me. I've, I've got the experience. I've been in the game long enough. And, and that's why, you know, I'm still able to ride at this age. People, there's something to experience, man. And, and when, you, when you can get a trainer and owner to trust you and believe in you as much as they do their horse or themselves, it, it just makes you ride better and feel better. You ride just more comfortable. I, I know that, like I said, there's no handcuffs on me, man. I, I can do whatever I feel is right. And, and that's, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what good trainers do. You know, they let you go out there and play. You know, we might want to go to the lead in this race, and what if I get away just a little bit sore? He, he stumbles, or, or you know, the guy down inside of me has the same idea, and he's just going to go as fast as he can go. And you know, you can't just go as fast as you can go early on because then you both lost. You know, so you gotta, you gotta be able to adjust and, and call audible, and and you gotta make those decisions in, in about a fifth of a second, man. You got, you gotta make them quick because if you, if you don't, then it's it, it's you done mess up and it's over. Yeah, that's interesting because that brings up a good point. And in, in, in baseball, you know, the manager, there's certain managers that they trust you and they put everything in you and they trust at second base. It could be an infield in situation, but the game's on the line. But if it's hit hard enough, like you said, you called it an audible. I like that. I have the option of turning a double play with my partner, but it's a split second decision. It's it, it's something like you said, as you get experience, as you play, when your manager learns to trust you, he puts it in your hands. It's almost like when there's going to be, uh, you know, it's the seventh inning and there's a certain guy on the mound pitching that night that that 
manager will come out and sometimes it's a glance. It's the look in each other's eyes. Something about it was, I trust that guy. And if he tells me this is, you know, this is his inning, this is his game. Certain guys are going to get the benefit of the doubt and, doubt. and get the ball. Exactly. Certain guys, you know, younger, more, uh, haven't proven yourself yet, a little more inexperienced. He might come out and go, you're done. We're going to the lefty in the pen and it's over yeah. with. But the more, <laughs> you know, the more accomplished you become. And, and that's something you earn. That's something you earn through, exactly. Through, exactly. through years of proving that you're trustworthy. And, and I think it's yeah. interesting you put it that way. I love the audible thing. I'm, I'm thinking if I'm a trainer, I'm an owner. I got Mike Smith on my horse. I think he's been there, done that a few times. And if, if he sees something in that race that, that has to change from our plan, it goes off script. Uh, I got to trust Mike Smith and not say this is what I would have done. Well, yeah, why don't you jump on the horse and, and make this call when this happened in the race? Uh, but it, that's interesting. And that- that's something, you know, Brett, you're exactly right in what you're saying. I mean, a hundred, exactly right. And, and that's something that they don't have to go to bed worrying about. Now, that's one part of the game that, okay, I, I know I got my – I don't have to worry about what's – I know he's going to do the right thing. So, you know, that, that, that means something. If a guy has to go to bed, trainer thinking, man, Jock's never been in this situation before. Man, I hope he knows that if this happens to do this, if that happens to do that, you know, you can't, you can't be telling them all that stuff, you know. So – and, and, and the young guys, they have to tell them this, and, and those guys will just stick by exactly what they say. Well, I've done it long enough now that, that I, I know that, if okay, that didn't work. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it now. And, and I feel 110% free to do it. And, and like I said, I've got no handcuffs on me. I, I, I know that was the right thing to do. At least I feel in my heart. And they, they understand that, and they see that, because as you well know, not everything goes goes uh, as planned in, in any sport. Um Especially a horse race when, when you know, you've got a live animal that weighs 1,200 pounds on an ATM. And they don't necessarily want to, want to cooperate 100% with you. There's a lot of audibles called out there. <laughs> this is something I find really interesting just because, you know, I've, uh, as a kid, I spent a lot of time in San Diego. But now I live in the San Diego area. And, and uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I like to get out to Del Mar whenever, whenever the meet's here. And I often think is, you know, when you're in your own profession, you really don't think of it as a big deal. I had my routine playing, you know, uh, if we had a home game, I get to the park at a certain time. I have film to watch. Uh, you know, I might be doing my maintenance work before the game, my balance work, whatever I do. I might be, you know, I might be in a slump at the time. I might not be swinging the bat well. So I got early work and then maybe I, I've got something I've got to do uh, before batting practice. But I have a, a kind of a set routine. Then, you know, game time, seven o'clock and I do my thing for you. You never have a home game. You're always on the road. <laughs> and I'm just interested in the day in the life of a jockey, the day in the life of Mike Smith, just an average week at Del Mar Racetrack. What do you do? You wake up, and, and how does your day go? Let's say you've got three or four mounts today. Uh, what is your day like? Take, take the people out there, uh, listen to the Boone podcast <laughs> through the day of, of a, jo- uh, a big-time jockey at the Del Mar meet. Well, your, your, your morning work would be uh, probably getting up around 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, anywhere from 5.30 to 6. Uh, you know, again, especially when you're younger and you're really, really trying to make it in this game, well, they got to get out there as early as they can, you know, and, 
and just check with each and every trainer that, that they're riding for and, and the guys that they're not riding for. See if they need some help. They need them to breathe a horse, you know, just, just to get into the barn. Me, you know, most of the time, you know, my me or my agent would have gone out and checked with a few guys that we're going to ride for, and and, and, and that's probably it. I, I don't ride as many as I, I used to ride, so I'm not looking to go out there and, and get on as many horses as I, I can get on. I'm just looking for some quality right now, just quality horses and, 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 and riding and picking and choosing, trying to ride the right, right kind of races. So, you know, we'll go around and see a few people. You know, you always hear, all oh, this guy's got this colt that can really run or this guy. You know, just go check on him. Put your name in the hat, man. Let them know you're interested. And in, in. So the morning work is stuff like that. As far as the, what, the afternoon, now you know who's in the race. The scratches have come out. All the, all the changes have come out if anyone scratched out of the race. You've already handicapped the race as far as gone over the past performances and the form. But you might want to check with a trainer if they got something, an idea of what they'd like like to be done and you've already you know i've already played each and every race that i'm going to ride over and over in my head several different times and, and, and several different ways that it could it could turn out uh, as far as just the basics of what you actually see on paper who the speed is and who's not the speed i i know who's who's quicker than i am and who's not i probably know my horses quarterly i know what, what what he's really good at i know if he's got a high cruising speed or if he's a really good closer uh, if he had a bit of a rough trip last time, try to give him a cleaner trip. Uh, if he don't care for the inside, some horses don't like it down in there tight with a kickback hitting him in the face. Try and give him a clear trip. You know, a lot of stuff like that. So I've I've gone over all that stuff just with myself, and then I'll go over with with the with the trainer. And then uh, and then after that, I have about two hours to to either pull weight if I got to pull some weight, and that might mean I I might have to go out running a little bit or hit the sauna or or. Uh, or just relax and get ready for the day, depending on, on if, if my weight's good enough already. And then uh, you start your day, and then uh, racing's an emotional roller coaster, man. I mean, one one race I might win, and I'm the greatest jockey that ever rode, man. And then I might come right back on a four to five shot and get beat. I suck worse than anybody ever sucked. <laughs> and then you got to come back and ride the next race, you know. So you got to learn to be thick-skinned and put things behind you and, and get you know, get on to the next race until your day is done and then go over the whole day again, uh, the good and the bad that you've done. Uh, but you got to be, you got to be tough in this sport, man, because uh, there's a lot of critics out there. Everybody's, you know, puts their $2 on you, man, and, and they're all a critic, man. So some are going to love you and a whole lot are going to hate you. And and what's that? What's that locker room like? What's that? Uh, you know, I call it a clubhouse. But you know, if we had a rain delay or we had time on our hands, we play cards. I'm I'm sure you guys. You know, I, I was thinking about what what can I compare a jockey locker room to? It's probably like the PGA Tour. A bunch of guys, nobody's teammates. Yeah. You know, except nobody's for in the Ryder teammates. Cup. I'm looking to beat your ass. But at the same time, we've got a rapport and a mutual respect for each other because mm-hmm. this is what we do. Is there is there any gamesmanship down there in the clubhouse? I, oh, because yeah. I've never been in something like that, you know. Because my my guys in the clubhouse, we're all teammates. <laughs> yeah, well, that's you know we're the only sport. You know, well, I say we're the only sport. I guess golf would be one that. Uh, but at each, after each and every race, we come right back into the same locker room together. So sometimes it gets a little heated in there, especially if someone. To shut you off or, or 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 put your life on the line a little bit there you you get you get pretty you can get pretty uptight but you know you gotta you gotta learn uh you know we we gotta live together and we're we're 
you know, we respect each other, but, but uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of money on the line as well on top of it, man. So there's a lot of pressure. So you got to learn to stay away from some people, and, and, and sometimes you just got to fight your way out of it, man. It's just part of the game. <laughs> if, you, if you have to, you have to. It just depends. Uh, but but all in all, you know, we got a, a bunch of young riders, especially out here in, in, in Southern California, man, and, and they, they respect and they, 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 they watch and they learn and, and it's all pretty cool in there, man. We play jokes on it. It's like any locker room, man. We jack with each other all day long, man, to tell you the truth, just to, just to break it up and, and, and not have to think about it too much. You know, sometimes you think about these, these, these high pressure situations and it gets, gets to be too much worry. And, you know, so it's fun to get in there and play a little cars, and mess around and jack around with each other a little bit, but, uh, but it can get heated in there as well. Yeah, that's it's so interesting, and and I'm so interested because it's just something I've never been. I, I guess that's pretty natural for for athletes to always look at the other sport and go, "I wonder what it's like." When they're looking at you, going, "I wonder what it's like," you know, in your <laughs> locker room. If if I, I've, you know, I come, go ahead. You know, I've been blessed. You know, to you know, I've uh, man, you know, I've I've won some, I won some great races for Joe Torrey and Popeye Zimmerman back in the day, and then all the guys. Yeah. That, I've got to go. I've got to go down in their locker room man, and, and hang out and, and during games and 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 the dugout and see what it's like. Man, it's it's amazing, man. I I, I enjoy it. And I I got a lot of friends who played professional football. A lot of coaches who who coach football, and I've got to be on the field with them and go in their locker room and, and watch them at halftime. I mean, it's it's intense. It's great, but but it's it, it's somewhat like that. You know, other other than 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 you know, we're not one whole team coming in into the locker room together. We're we we pretty much we're battling each other each and every one of us and then we you know we got to sit right next to each other afterwards so you know it's a, it's a bit different but but a lot alike in in a lot of different ways to be honest with you but now there's nothing like being in there I'll tell you that who takes care of your silks that's just a simple question that came to mind because I'm sitting there thinking I come to the ballpark yeah, every day my uniform my uniforms hung up. Yeah, you got equipment manager, right? Well, we have a, a they call them ballots. They don't call them equipment. You can call them equipment manager, but we call them our ballets, you know, and, and they handle all that. They handle all my equipment. They make sure that my equipment's safe and that my, you know, because the equipment I'm using too, it has to be, you know, has to be uh, in good shape, you know. I mean, what if, you know, if one of my stirrups is a little cracked or, or, or my a webbing is, is getting a little old, you know, he, he replaces all that. He makes sure that everything looks good and brand new on my saddles and, 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 my helmet and my goggles and everything else. He takes care of that. And he gets my silks ready for me. They're, they're numbered, you know, so I know which race to put what, what on and, and I don't mess it up. And, and yeah, they just pretty much take care of you. It just, it'd be just like an equipment manager. Very cool. All right. I want to, we'll get in a little, get into a little bit of the racing. Now what's bigger for a jockey breeders cup or Kentucky Derby. <clears throat> Well, depending on which race in the Breeders' Cup, the purse might be bigger. But the Kentucky Derby will always be America's race, man. It, it, it'll always be the one that if you were a, a, a kid, an owner, a trainer, uh, if I asked you if you could win one race, which one would it be? I would probably have to say 90% of them, if not more, would say the Kentucky Derby. But Breeders' Cup have have evolved they've gotten so big you know because not only are you racing against most of the people just in the united you're racing against the best in the world uh it, it's just a, it's a different stage the money is, is sometimes is the, is the purses and like in the classic you know is 
six million and up sometimes, which in the Kentucky Derby, I think it's two now in it. I believe it's two, might be three, but I believe it's two. So, so the purses would be bigger a lot of times in, in the Breeders' Cup, but the prestige will always be the, the Kentucky Derby. Um, I want to, I want to ask you about what it was like for you. Now you've been riding for so long, so many accomplishments. Uh, what was it like your first Kentucky Derby? I remember my first, the first time I got to go to the world series and it was different. And I remember walking out in the Yankee stadium, getting loose on the line before the game. And I'd played in Yankee stadium, uh, you know, 10, 20 times. But tonight, it was game three. And I, it, it's almost like you just look around and you know you're somewhere special. Did you have that feeling, <laughs> yeah. your, your first Kentucky Derby? Oh, it was, it, you know, they, they, they try to tell you, don't they, bro? It's just, it, it's just like any other, it's, it's really, it's just any other game. Man. It's like any other, play, but it's not. You know, it, it's not like any other race. It's not like any other game when you're playing in any game in the World Series, man. It's it's the World Series, man. It's the Kentucky Derby. It, it's the whole – the air is even different. I mean, the the, the electricity that's in the air, every, the horses act different. I mean, it's just it, – the riders act different. You know, a guy – you know, it, it, you're up there. On, it's, it's each man for himself, man. I mean, everyone wants to win it so bad. There's, You know, it's almost a no-hold-bar, man. It's all, it's all, all or nothing. And it's just, there's a, and then there's a lot of pressure. It's what everyone's worked so hard for. And you don't want to be the guy that messes it up, man. I mean, the, pra- the trainer's done his time. The horse has put in his time. The owner has spent his money. And he's, he's hired what he thinks is the best people there is to possibly hire for his crew. And, and, and you don't want to be that guy to mess it up. So there's a lot of pressure, you know. So you got to learn to, learn to handle all that. But, you know, I rode my first Kentucky Derby in 1984. Yeah, I was, uh, I think I was just turning 18 years old. And and it, I think I spent most of the time in the bathroom, just taking them <laughs> nervous pisses. Man, I'm nothing would come out. I just stand in front of the urinal, and just <laughs> just stand there. Yeah. I might get a drop out each and every time. Man, it, it was it was intense. It was unbelievable. But it, uh, experience that I'll never ever forget. And not to mention when it's all said and done, I got to ride in, in a limousine back to the airport with Howard Cosell. Man, and sitting in the back, it was pretty cool. Man, I'll never forget that. I was riding in Nebraska at the time at a racetrack called Exarbon, and I had to fly back to to Omaha, Nebraska, and I got to to ride back in the in the limo with Howard Cosell, which was amazing. But that was my first Derby. This year uh, uh, was my 27th uh, Kentucky Derby. I just became the the all time guy who's ridden the most Kentucky Derbies. I was tied with Shoemaker, but this year I put me one in front of him. And I would I'm not think, too sure that's a good good stat to have, though, man. I've ridden 27, only win two. That's not the the percentage ain't very good, <laughs> man. I, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I'd have to think uh, going to Kentucky for that Derby it never gets old. First time was probably something special, you know. First time doing yeah, anything, but I, I would assume it never gets old. Never gets old, and then once you you've been blessed to to have won it, right? Well, you know, I mean, once you've been, it's a feeling like no other. So the only way I'm ever going to feel that way again is is to win it again. So I I I think you want it even more the second time to be honest with you, and then the third time, and then the fourth time because you never know when it's going to be it, and you'll never get that. It's, it's a feeling like I've never felt before, and you don't get it unless you win it. Go back to 2018, you win the Triple Crown. Uh, 
on Justify. Uh, take me through those three races, and, and does the pressure build with each victory? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, normally, you would you would think so. I, I look at going in. He was very lightly raced, so so he had this this this. They, they, they call it the Apollo Curse. No horse had ever won the Kentucky Derby that hadn't raced as a two-year-old since a horse called Apollo. And that was a hundred something years ago, right? Hadn't been done. Well, this horse is gonna is gonna be is gonna try and do that. But the difference with this horse and the most horses that hadn't been able to do it is, is this horse was just he he was just different. He was bigger. He was stronger. He was faster, and he was extremely intelligent on top of it for such a young horse. And he he would just he, he just knew the game. He didn't have to show him twice, man. He 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 was really really a smart horse. And again, not to mention that he was just bigger and stronger and faster than they were. So going into the Derby, uh, you know, it's twenty horses. You, you got to get away good. He's really big. You just hope that you jump well. If I can get him in a good place, you know, th- this is the kind of horse that, that that should win the Derby. I mean, he should win this race if all goes well. Man, he. He got in there. We, we were in the seven hole, I believe it was. Man, he looked straight down the racetrack. He never blinked an eye. You know, it, it takes time to load 20 horses in the gate, and, and a lot goes on, and they get, you know, they get a little antsy in there, and they get to, to dancing in there, moving around a lot. He never moved, man. He just looked straight down that track as if you just, as soon as this door is going to crack, I'm going to fly out. I mean, it's like he, he knew what to do. And so once they were all loaded, man, when them doors opened, this big red sucker was, he was in front the first jump, got me in a really good, clear, comfortable place, and and I knew at that point I said, shoot, it's on. I just got to stay on. <laughs> I just got to make sure and have it, you know, not not go too quick early, you know, not pull the trigger too fast. Uh, make sure that I say something for the. I mean, just checking off all the lists that you check off as you ride, you know. And and he was just passing them all. Everything was just right, and of course we win it. After we won it, I would have to say the most. Out of the three, the most nervous one was the second one because now I know if I can pull, and I, you know, we had to run. You, you always have to run pretty hard. You know, you have to run extremely hard, man, to to win the Kentucky Derby all out. Even if you are, say you are, you know, five, six, seven lengths the best, you still have to run hard because you have to use them so hard early on to make sure that no one bounces you around or or gets you trapped in a in a box or, or gets you gets you shuffled back. You know, so you got to really use your horse in the Derby early. At some point, you try and give them some sort of a breather, then and then and then they got to go hard again, man. And it's a mile and a quarter the first time they've ever done it. So he had to run pretty hard in the Derby. Going into the Preakness, I thought, man, if I can win this without so squeezing the, you know, squeezing him too hard, if, if I can win him, win this race with not having to ask him for 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 everything, he he can win the Triple Crown. He'll win the Belmont. I, I thought all along that the Belmont would be probably the easiest race for him just because of the, his size, how big the racetrack is in New York. The pace would be easier early on. He's just naturally quick and fast. He's a big stride. And he reminds me a lot like Secretariat, you know, just a big, powerful horse. So the most nerve-wracking one for me was, was the Preakness, man. I was, I just wanted to get, get the job done and, and, and not do too much with him, which I was able to do. I probably cut it a little bit too, too close, but, 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 uh, even though we did that, I, I still pulled it off. And, and, and man, I, I gotta be honest with you going into the, the, the Belmont, I couldn't stop smiling, man, for, 
for, from the whole time. Uh, you have three weeks off going from, from Preakness into the Belmont, man. And uh, I mean, you, you couldn't wipe the smile off my face. I thought as long as he stays healthy and, you know, during his training to get to lead up to the Belmont, I just didn't think they could beat him. And even, even warming up in the post parade just before the race, uh, I had to keep telling myself, man, you, you get that smile off your face, boy. You got you got a job to do here. You got to make sure and get him out of that gate. We do the one hole, and you just got to get. Once I get him out of there and get him in that good, high, comfortable, happy cruising speed, and just let him do his thing, well, then he should just win this, you know. And 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 everything went as planned. Honestly, he he left there running. He he was able to secure the lead really early, get into a really nice, happy. You know, it was kind of a high cruising speed, but I mean, it was comfortable. It was what he likes to do. He, he he's got a big, he's a big, powerful, big striding horse, and I let him do that. And and uh, from the half mile pole to the to the to the time I asked him to run about the eighth pole, I I was already smiling. I was I already knew he he was going to win the Derby. And isn't that uh, isn't that a cool was, feeling? <laughs> you know, it was just the most humbling feeling in the world you know you just you won the holy grail here now you, this is this is not just the kentucky derby it's not you know just that you you won the triple crown you know you're one of i guess we were one of 13 to ever ever do it uh and it it's it, it's like no other it, it's the, it was the most humbling feeling it still is to this day that i can that i can think of honestly it really is i just want to shake everyone's hand Hug everybody and just told them when I tell everybody what I just done. <laughs> that's, oh, it justified this did, and I got to hang on and I got to keep the weight on his back because he was just an amazing horse. He really was. We never got to see the best of him. You know, he never got beat. He was six for six. He retired early on. He came out of the the the, the Belmont with just a minor injury. It would be like a a high spring or something like that. It wouldn't be nothing that you know wasn't certainly one career ending, but it was gonna it was gonna probably maybe keep him out of you know the the races that we we wanted to run in towards the end of the year and instead of just doing all that you know he he had nothing left to prove we might as well just walk away man with the with the triple crown trophy in his back pocket and get to retire and just breed and 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 live the life and that's what he's doing now uh living there at coolmore stud in lexington kentucky he just he just gets to breed mares and and, and he's got a house that's uh, probably worth about ten times more than mine. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's playing golf every day. <laughs> oh, he's playing golf every day. You know, I always told everybody they should do that with the jockeys, man. They should be able to <laughs> retire them like that and, and let them just breed and <laughs> just live out there, you know. But no, he's living the life, and you know, it, it's a blessing that I. I can't tell you what 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 winning the triple crown means, but I. My, I don't have the words to explain it. I don't have the vocabulary to even come up with a word to try to even get close to what it feels like. So we're going to go from one great horse justified to Zenyatta. Went to the post 20 times, won 19 of them. I, I actually heard you go visit her whenever you get a chance. And, you know, for, for, for the people out there that maybe aren't horse racing fans, maybe they are, but we still don't get the, the insider look like you do. What is the relationship like between jockey and horse and how do you develop that relationship? Well, you, you, they're, they're different with, with each horse, depending on, on the amount of time, Brett, that you spend with them. Um, 
you know, Zenyatta was a horse that I spent a lot of time with. Uh, I got on her most of the time in the morning whenever she would do her, her, her breezes, you know, uh, she had her gallop, her gallop boy, uh, Steve Willard, uh, that would gallop her, but whenever she would do her, her breezes or her works, you know, I would get on her quite a bit. Whereas Justify never really got, I only got on Justify for race days. And that was, you know, it was just, so I was a little more attached to her because I had spent so much time with her and, and she was, she was different. First of all, I mean, she was as good as she was. We all know how great she was, but she was a different horse, man. She had this, this unbelievable personality, you know, where around the barn, as long as you weren't on her, she was probably the kindest thing you'd ever seen. But, but, but when you, once you put a saddle on her back and you put a bridle in her mouth, man, you, you better not come within t- 10 feet of her. Uh, she was a beast, man. She was strong and powerful. She was, she was 17 too. So she would probably be like, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, <laughs> she'd be his size, you know, if she, if she was right. a human, that's, that's how big she was, but yet she could move like a point guard, man. She, she was extremely, even though early on in the race, she'd come from last, that's only because she, she chose to, she had a turn of foot that was unbelievable. She could go from last to first in a matter of two jumps. I mean, she, she was that athletic. She was really neat. And, and, and we did, we had a, a, a she knew me, man. I, I knew her and she knew when I was on her. I think she still gets knows me somewhat, although with time, you know, they, I'm sure they forget, you know, but, but early on, I could go out there and, and, and visit with her. I, I swear she still knew who I was. That's, that's, so it, that's a pretty cool thing. She'll always, she'll go down as the queen, man. She'll go down, you know, that Breeders' Cup, if you, if you hadn't seen it, man, Google it when she won the 2000, I think it was nine Breeders' Cup, uh, first filly to ever beat the boys and, and, and just the way she did it and, and, and the crowd, but it, it, that was, it'll go down as one of the best breeders cup, breeders cups of all time. It, it certainly would be in the top five. I would have to say. So now I want to go back to Del Mar, my childhood. I, I, I'm going to tell my story. It's like my grandpa was such a guy, man. He loved the horses and, you know, he played baseball for a lot of years and he was a, a scout for the Boston Red Sox. But whenever I, I was a kid and I was in town and he was a stickler, we had to get there early and we did not sit in the fancy suites. We didn't even dare think about going to the turf club. Gramps had his lawn chairs, bologna sandwiches that Graham made. And if we were, if, if I'm, we'd be getting off that five freeway. And if we weren't an hour and a half early, he'd look at me and go, we might as well just go home. We're late. And man, I loved, I remember those times so vividly and I had so much fun. We'd get down there, we'd get set up, you know, we're going over the form and we're picking and Gramps gives me two bucks for each race. And, uh, I just remember Willie Shoemaker and, and Pink Kai Jr., who's, you know, back then, that was probably a lot of, a lot of guys' favorite jockey. He had something about him. And, and Della Hoosey and, and Gary Stevens was coming along. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned earlier The Apprentice. I think when I first saw Gary Stevens, he was an apprentice. But, man, those were such cool times. Now, of course, I sit in the Mike Smith suite up right by the finish line. So, I'm, you know, I'm a little hotty toddy <laughs> nowadays. But back in the day, <laughs> Gramps wouldn't do it. He's like, Brett, this is where we sit. We walk. We, we you know, it, and that's how Gramps was. And it was such a cool thing. Who were, who were some of the jockeys as a, as a young kid that you looked up to? 
the same people that, that, that you just mentioned, man. Uh, other than, you know, when I first started, but uh, there's nothing like that feeling anyway, by the way. My grandfather was who, who took me to the racetrack the very first time as well, and, and, and pretty much the same thing, man. It was just uh, never forget those days. But, but you know, growing up and getting to start, I started such, at such a young age, and I started kind of in the Midwest to start out with. So, you know, Arkansas, uh kentucky chicago area and all all around there so you know pat day was a big idol of mine uh really looked up to him took me under his wing when i was very young and i learned a whole lot from pat and then once i got to where i was doing really good and i was time to move up to the big leagues man i got to move to new york in the in the late 80s and man there you are with angel cordero man and and georgie velasquez man and and cinto vasquez and, and 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 Jerry Bailey and, and just man, the, the list goes on, man. It, it was just incredible getting the opportunity. I, I swear that I, I came up at the greatest time there was to come up. Other than I wish it had been pretty cool to ride with like Eddie Arcaro and, you know, Johnny Longden and a few guys like that. Uh, but, but getting the, getting the opportunity to, you know, they were, they were, they were getting older, you know, your shoemakers and, and your Lafitte and, and your angels, they were getting a little older, but they were still in their prime. They were still every bit as good you know, uh, and, and just to get to grow up watching them and, and getting the opportunity to ride from them and learn from them. And then now I'm, I'm the old guy in the, in the jocks room, you know, and then, <laughs> but, but I think that era was just, just, just the greatest era of, of, of all time. And maybe just, that's just because I was in it. And I'm sure you would, you would, you know, you would have to say that in, during your time that you got to play. And then if you were in the NBA and you got to play with, with Magic and Larry and, and, and Michael Jordan. and Oh, yeah, and the short shorts. That was the greatest era. Yeah, I mean, so I, yeah. I, I, got to, I, got to, I got to play with the greatest of greatest, man. And, and you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll never be as good as they were, man, but, but I, I was there. <laughs> I was there and I was with them. I, I, I think the numbers tend to differ with that. But I, uh, I'm not going to. I'll, I'll toot yeah. your horn for you. Um, you know what? You know what? I was thinking, what What do you think it was about Lafitte? There was something about Lafitte Pinkeye that that it, it's almost like he was the Fred Couples of golf. You know, like, like on the on the tour, everybody just loves Fred Couples. Why? I don't know, because he's Freddie. I think I, I, yeah. I, I had that similar feeling when I saw Lafitte. Like everybody loves Lafitte. Well, I mean, not, not only was he such a brilliant rider, I mean, he, how he worked so hard at, at, at his weight and keeping his weight down. And the stories you hear about how little he got to eat, what, what he did to keep his weight down. And then if, you, if you've if you ever seen the man with, with, with without a shirt on, I mean, he's ripped. Man. I mean, this dude is, I mean, he he looks like you would, you would die to look for. I mean, he, he, he looks that good. He still does, man. He's hell i just had dinner with him the other day i said damn are you ever gonna age man i swear i think he could ride right now if, if he wanted to if he, if he could if the doctors would release him i guarantee he would ride right now he still looks that good and his body is still in that good of shape it's just amazing he's just an he was just an amazing athlete and, and you had to admire him you know he never he never boasted he never went around he wasn't a cocky man he didn't talk about how great he was or what he did he was actually quiet he just let everything he did speak for him and it spoke loudly <laughs> yeah, it did. 
Turf versus the dirt. There, there's all, I always hear it, you know, from, from horsemen that are, you know, that I still, I mean, I, yeah, I love the horses, but I, I, I could, I could use to learn a lot, but horsemen are, oh, he runs really good on the turf. He runs really good on the dirt. I remember as a kid, it was always Fernando Toro on the turf, but I, but I never could wrap my head around it. You know, I played on ash turf. I played on natural grass. Didn't matter for me. Ash turf's a little faster game, but I, I'm going to get a better hop. Uh, you know, nowadays with the fields the way they are, they're all so perfectly manicured. There's not too many bad hops out there. But explain to the audience what's the difference between that turf and the dirt and why some guys really, really excel and some guys don't. Well, turf to dirt, I mean, it, it, it's on the turf, man, you really want to get covered up, save a lot of ground, get into the pocket is what they, is what you call it. You know, where, where if there's a horse on the lead, there's a horse laying second or third, you want to be that guy that's down in there in the pocket on the rail. And some guys have a knack for it, man. They just get down in there and they really, they really can get into that, into that pocket place every time and follow the right kind of horses because the turf is, they, they accelerate a whole lot quicker on it. So you, you want to save more ground on the turf. Whereas the dirt, you got to be careful getting into that pocket because if they make you tap on the brakes a time or two, it's hard to get going again on the dirt because it's so so heavy and hard. So you want to ride more of a cleaner, smoother race. Whereas is a turf, you want to really tuck in immediately right away and, and, and save ground. And some guys just have a knack for it. And once you you've gotten a knack for that, then you start they start coming with to you with the better turf horses and then then that's really all it is is you're getting better turf horses to ride than i am you know that don't, that don't mean i can't do the same thing you did but if you're riding a better horse than me you're certainly going to get into that spot a whole lot quicker and before you know it uh, you know i can't catch you anyway because you're on the best horse so you know you, you get a reputation and some guys just get a reputation you know they're just a better turf rider than so then they, they just start putting them all the best dirt. That don't mean Fernando couldn't ride a good dirt horse. I bet you he rode the hell out of a dirt, good, good dirt horse, but he did have that reputation for a turf rider, so he got all the best turf horses. But he was really good at getting a horse in, into that into that, into that that place that you want to be, that sweet spot, so to say, uh, on, on the grass. Man, he, he just got to it quicker than everybody else and, and better at it. Uh, and he rode some of the greatest turf horses there ever was. So So... Once you get that reputation, then it kind of takes off and it lives its own life, man. It builds its own thing on you without you even. You kind of hate that sometimes. I didn't, didn't ever really want to be that guy because I didn't, didn't want, you know, I wanted to be more of a well-rounded where people would ride me every bit of, as much on the on the dirt as they would the turf. So you got to be careful with it. Sometimes it, 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 it bites you a little bit because I, I know how great a rider Fernando was, and I bet you he could have rode the dirt every bit as good as he could rode, rode, as he rode the turf. So. But that's part of it, and and what makes a, a turf horse better? You know, what makes a turf horse compared to? It's just breeding, man. It's just the way they made their mechanics. They get over the turf just better than than some horses do. And then you put them on the dirt, and they they can't run at all on the dirt. It's it's, it's just weird, man. Some people say it's their feet and all this, but they all have good turf horses come with all kinds of different feet. I never really thought that. It's just their breeding. It's just it's just what they're bred for. Very few will run as well on, on both. And every now and then you'd get one that did, like John Henry would be one that you'd probably remember. But he he could run every bit on the, as well on the turf as he could the dirt. But there's very few of them that can do both. 
It's like That's tennis players. You know how some guys play the clay? Oh, yeah, yeah, the clay that? versus the – yeah. Yeah, and what, what, why is that? You know, you, 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 could, you could sit and try to figure it out forever, but the, there's just something to it, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, there definitely is. There definitely is. Favorite racetrack? Well, I, Santa Anita and Del Mar here in California and in New York, of course, Saratoga and Belmont. In Kentucky, well, all, Lexington is a beautiful place if you've never been to Lexington. You know, of course, Churchill has the Derby and, and, and the Derby Museum, which is incredible. And then a little hidden gemstone that if you've never been to that I absolutely just think the world of, and that's Oakland Park, man. You know, a lot you know, of fun. As, if you've never been there, make a trip there one day with the guys, man. You'll have a blast during that meet, especially during the racing festival. How about this? I know you have a feeling because I know you're like me in this way, too. There's certain parks I knew I was going into and I knew something good was going to happen because I always, for whatever reason, planets lined up, whatever it was, I was going to get some hits at that park. And there were certain parks where I was like, oh, I got I struggle here. I don't maybe I don't see the ball well or something. If you had to win one race, where you go, what track you run it at? Wow. I've, I've been blessed in a lot of good parks, man. Uh, probably Belmont. And something Belmont. about Belmont, I always thought that I could win a race there and not be on the best horse. It was such a big, big racetrack and very wide and huge turns. Everyone thought the stretch was so long. It's not that the stretch was so long, it's the turns are so big. And, and you could do things in the middle of a race that you wouldn't normally do on a regular racetrack and, and, and you could and you could pull off a W when you weren't on the best horse. And, and there was little tricks you could do on that track. So if I had one more big race to ride and it was all the money was all the marbles, man, were down, I I think I would pick that track. Let me let me go and see what I could do. <laughs> all right, Saturday we got the preakness. Mike Smith still going. Uh your um you're riding your trainer's Baffert. He's got two horses. He's got Medina Spirit. There's a little something going on in the horse world right now. I'm not quite up to speed on it. I've been out of town. I've been talking to a mutual friend of ours, and he's kind of been filling me in a little bit. But you're on concert tour. Uh, who's the horse to beat on Saturday? Bob's other horse, Medina Spirit. He's really gotten good at the right time. He's doing really well. He's, what he lacks in size, he's not a big horse. He's a, kind of a little narrow horse. He ain't a whole lot to look at. He wouldn't be one that you would look at and say, oh, wow, he stands out. But but he what, what it's what he has inside, man. I mean, he's got a heart on him. He's got a whole lot of trying in that horse, man. He really does. And he's really seemed to get be getting good at the right time. They just had the draw about 30 minutes before you called me, Brett. And I drew the 10 all out of 10 which kind of wasn't where I wanted to be. I, I kind of feel like I'm on the quickest horse. I, I wanted to be down inside. He drew the three, but in the spirit, I, I probably would rather change posts with him. But in saying that, sometimes when you think that, that you're in a bad post, it, it, it winds up being the exact post you needed. Uh, this horse that I'm riding concert tour has that kind of ability. I, I, I'm so excited to be on this horse. Uh, I don't really think care really don't think it matters where he's at as far as the post it's only 10 horses you got you got plenty of time to get to that first turn and he's quick enough to get over there pretty pretty quick uh i look for this if this horse runs his a a race i, I just think that, that he's got a big big chance to, to to win this thing in saying that though medina spirit's definitely the other horse to beat 
All right. Well, as I do on all the big races, you know where I, well, you didn't know till now, but I always throw a couple dollars on my, and that Mike Smith, and I know where to find you now, if you don't bring it home with concert tour, I'll be watching. Uh, hopefully everybody out there listening to the Brett Boom podcast, they're, they're going to be watching too on Saturday. Best of luck to you, Mike. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. This is really interesting and uh, selfishly really cool for me because I'm, I'm such a big uh, horse racing friend, you know, other than baseball. Well, it's like to, it, in my free time, it was golf and, golf and horse racing. Well, I thank you, first of all, for, for having me on. It's an honor to, to be on your, your show. We have a lot of mutual friends, uh, me and you. And and, uh, and just to let you know, man, I, I'm going to be your neighbor here pretty soon. I, I just got a place out that way, and, and I'm excited about moving into it pretty soon. So hopefully I get a chance to spend some time with you, man. That would be awesome. That'd be awesome, Mike. Good luck on Saturday. And what we do here on the Boone Podcast at the end is we bring the voice of the Boone Podcast back, Dan Levy, to ask our guests a question from the fans. Dano. Hey, guys. Mike, this question comes from actual guy named Brett in Ohio, and he wants to know, Mike, who is the most famous person you have ever met? <laughs> <laughs> the most famous person I ever met. Wow. No, I'm trying to think, man. I, you know, I, man, I met Merle Haggard one time, and it was something about that, man. I'll never forget it. That guy had a look in his eyes. I just thought he was amazing. And that still do to this day. Uh, God rest his soul. I was a big Merle Haggard fan. And when I got to meet him, I, I thought, well, hell, I made it. I know I made it now. I met a Merle Haggard. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. Mailbag. Okay, Boone, you know that sound. It's time to dig into the Brett Boone mailbag. Shall we roll? Let's do it, Danny. All right. Brett, this one comes from Mike in Queens, and he wants to know, Hey, Brett, what's going on with the Yankees? Are people panicking too soon, or are they just writing them off? Um, that's, that's, part of the, <laughs> that's, that's part of the deal, you know, and, and uh, anytime I talk to Aaron, I always remind him of that. So you want to manage the Yankees, you know. I think there's so many great things of – uh, of playing in New York, being a Yankee. Um, but there's a lot that comes with it. You know, uh, you got a lot of perks, a lot of fanfare. Uh, you travel like rock stars everywhere you go. There's crowds. Everybody wants to beat you. Everybody loves to hate you. Uh, but there's a lot of cool that, that, that goes with that. The downside is when things don't go that good, you know, they're going to be rough on you. People in New York, they expect world series every year. And anything short of that, you know, when you're doing well during the regular season, they don't really care. The the Yankee fans are like, we don't care about the regular season. We care about the postseason. So they got a real high bar and uh, tough to live up to their expectations. Uh, they're coming back a little bit right now. They, you know, they got back to 500 and, uh, you know, they're missing a couple key guys. Britain is the setup man for Chapman. Chapman's looked unbelievable this year, by the way. Uh, the Garrett Cole at the top of the rotation, still as good as anyone in the game. Kluber's starting to pitch like old Kluber. That's really important. I'm looking for Severino coming back uh, in about, I don't know, three or four weeks. I'm really interested in what he's going to do. And last year, their, their, uh, their MVP, Luke Voigt. He's coming off the IL here soon. I think the Yankees are going to be just fine. It's just a matter of staying healthy and, uh, you know, 
getting a uh, getting one of the slots in the postseason. Okay, let's go on back into the old mailbag, shall we? All right, Brett, this one comes from Sam in Baltimore, and he says, Hey, your boy Albert Pujols is just cut. Should anyone pick him up as a DH or pinch hitter? Yeah, that's, you know, without knowing the true story, and I don't know the true story, uh, I was kind of shocked by that. You know, somebody, man, Albert's a top 10 player, all arguably a top five player in the history of the game. Guys like that usually don't go out that way. Um, so I, I, I don't want to speculate. I wasn't there. I, I know nothing about it. I haven't talked to anybody that knows anything about it. But it was awful weird to me. It was, it was uh, I was kind of shocked. Like, wow, where did that come from out of nowhere? Uh, who knows the, the circumstances, what went on? Um, so like I said, I don't want to speculate. I don't know if Albert's going to play again. You know, he's played a long time. Uh, I would say if the right, situation came up for him, the right manager, uh, maybe a postseason team where he'd maybe be uh, not a full-time player and and just try to get to that postseason and win a ring. Um, but, you know, that's going to be up to Albert. You know, this guy's got over 2,000 RBIs. He's got close to 700 homers, right around a 300 for a career, 300, 3,000 hits. He's, he's done everything he can possibly do in this game. Uh, it's going to be up to Albert and, and you know, uh, guys like him, guys that have done this much for the game, put up those kind of numbers. Uh, I didn't like the way it ended for him. And and it's going to be – I hope he gets an opportunity uh, to do what he wants to do, to feel good about uh, finally taking off that jersey for the last time. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Okay, that's going to do it for the Brett Boone Mailbag. And again – if you have any questions, launch it to him at the Boone 29 on Twitter. That's where you can follow and send questions to Brett Boone. And he's also on Facebook and on Instagram. My name is Dan Levy, and I'm the technical director, producer, and the voice of the Boone Podcast. Executive producer is Rich Herrera. Digital content for the Boone Podcast provided by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors, friends, and all those who love the game of baseball and especially sports as well. Make sure to subscribe to the Boom Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, give it a five-star rating and share your feelings of the Boom Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boom Podcast, my name is Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. See you guys later. Good night.